this morning. Thank you, Father God, right now uh, for this time. I thank you, Lord. You said that the entrance of your word gives light and understanding. And you said for us to set our affection on things above, the things that, that we're most passionate about, the things that we love the most. You said to set that on things above because things that are seen are temporary, but things that are not seen are eternal. So right now we just put our affection upon you, upon your word, upon our time together. And I pray, Father God, for the seed of the word of God to be planted in our hearts. And I thank you, Lord, that it'll bring forth increase. I pray for uh, myself that you give a, a wide door of utterance and ability to speak and say what you would have say, not my own thoughts or motives or, or desires, but whatever you would have for us uh, to, to hear this morning. I pray, Father God, that we have that for every uh, heart to be open to your word. I thank you, Lord, for it. in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Praise God. This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. Now, at the beginning of 2013, I had a couple of sermon series that I wanted to preach, and this was not one of them. But the Lord told me maybe, I guess, a week or so ago, maybe even two weeks because she preached last week, preach or teach on the book of Acts. And the reason he told me that is I know now because he told me uh, that the book of Acts is the first church, or it's actually what we call the early church church. In other words, before the book of Acts in the Old Testament, they had a temple and only the high priest was allowed beyond the veil and there's a fake gold altar and they would take the blood of an animal and go behind the veil and put blood on that altar. And, but only certain people were allowed in the temple and that was the high priest. And the high priest, if he wasn't if he wasn't cleaned properly, like physically, and if he had sin in his life, once he got in God's presence, he would drop dead. They actually would tie a rope around his leg, and they would put bells around his garment. And that while he's in there working, applying the blood, and doing the showbread, if they stopped hearing the ring of the bells, they knew, up, oh, he's, he he's not sanctified. He dropped dead. They would use the rope. They would drag him out, and they would send another high priest in. How many of y'all like that job? I'm going in, <laughs> kissing your wife and hugging your kids. It's like, man, I hope this goes well for me. And you got to know whenever he came out, if he, if, he, if he made it, it was like, Eureka, ah! And he probably walked on cloud nine the whole rest of that year like, I'm sanctified, I'm dignified. You know, he maybe had a hanky or something and like a 12-piece suit, you know, because he was able to go into God's presence, man. He was just, he was the man. But if it wasn't the case, he's dead and he went on to eternity. But Jesus in, in the Acts is where we have the new church or the new pattern, the new way that we're going to meet with God. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have Jesus's life. And we all know that he's born of a baby and he becomes a young boy, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. He goes through puberty. Actually, he does. He, and he becomes a teenager. He learns how to ride his first camel and his first donkey and gets his license and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> then he becomes a career man. He becomes a carpenter and he begins making things. But something happened at 30 years old. The Bible says he heard the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, make way for the Lord. And that's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was, was an unconventional guy. The Bible says that he wore camel hair underwear clothing and he ate locusts and wild honey and, and he, I'm sure he looked like Duck Dynasty, big beards, no shaving. I mean probably very much like Phil Roberts 
with some locusts and some camel underpants. That's what John the Baptist looked like. But he's baptizing people. Jesus shows up and Jesus says, I need to be baptized. And John says, listen, I'm not worthy to undo your sandals. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, it has to be fulfilled what is written. So he says, so be it, and he's baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, the Bible says that heaven opens and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends upon him. Not a dove, like flying around, but in the form of the likeness of a dove, a Holy Spirit comes upon him and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that point on, from the time that he's 30 years old to the time that he's 33 years old, he accomplishes a lot. How many of y'all think of Jesus accomplished a lot in three years? I mean, and that just goes to show us, I don't care if you're 80 years old, if from 80 to 83, if you'll do what Jesus did, you can have tremendous results. What did, what did make Jesus so successful? He said, wherever the Father tells me to go, I go. Whatever the Father tells me to say, I say. Whatever the Father tells me to do, I do. And if we would just adopt that lifestyle, for it don't matter if you're 30, 50, or 90, for three years, if you could just do what Jesus did, you can totally radically change your life and people around you just for doing that so for three years he just did what Papa told him to do and at the age of 33 very interesting to me that, that just in three years he accomplished it all why not start at 20 and make it 13 years and why not start 20 no at 30 years old I mean he's 30 and that's whenever it all began three years he raised the dead and healed the sick and all those things and then that's the point in which of course we know that he died and after three days in the heart of the earth the Bible says that he mastered death he's the only person to enter death and master that experience he took the keys to death hell and the grave he made a spoil of them openly he made a parade out of the defeated foe of Satan and all of his cohorts and then he's from the dead and from that place he goes into the holy of holies not with a temple made with man's hands but he actually enters into the real holy of holies where the real presence of God is and he takes not the blood of an animal but he takes his own blood he enters beyond the veil and, and he puts his spotless blood on the mercy seat and the Bible says that he obtained eternal redemption for us no longer is there a covering of sin but now there's remission of sin and because he did that he gave us access into that same holy of holies the Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and, and obtain help in the time of need and after he does that the Bible says that he comes back to earth for 40 days after he goes through all of that he comes back to earth for 40 days. What does he come back to earth for 40 days for? Well, the Bible says that he came back and he gathered all of his disciples because some of them were all tore up. Oh, Jesus, he's dead. And he told them, listen, I'm going to die. Listen, I'm going to be raised from the dead. They didn't believe it. He told them, he says, there's things I want to tell you, fellas, but you won't understand it. You won't receive it now because he's like, I'm going to die on the cross. They're like, man, you can't die. You're not going to die. You raised Lazarus the dead and, and, and they just couldn't grab it so for 40 days he comes back in his new body I wonder what he looked like he had to look bad I mean just came totally back for 40 days and the Bible says that he explained the keys of the kingdom 
to his disciples. And for 40 days, he just breaks bread with them and explains to them everything that I just explained to you, except I'm sure a lot better. He probably did a pretty good, better job than I did it. Uh, but he goes through all of that for 40 days. He's with them. And this is where Luke ends and Acts begins. So I want to talk to you today out of the book of Acts. And we'll probably be here for the next couple of weeks. The reason why the Lord wants us to talk about Acts is because Acts is where the church is built. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But if Jesus doesn't build it, he said that we labor in vain. In other words, if Jesus is not in on what we're building here, then we're just spinning our wheels, we're laboring in vain, and we're showing up at church just to soothe our own conscience. But Jesus said, listen, I want to build my church. And the book of Acts is the first church. So there's things that, that, need, that we see in the book of Acts that need to be in our own congregation, in our own church, in our own life. Because if it's not that way, then really it's not just church. It's not a church at all. You know, some churches, they're more like social clubs or they're more like civic organizations where they feed the poor and they do nice things. But the book of Acts is the master copy of what a church should be like. Now, obviously in 2013, church is going to look a lot different than it did back then. Now you got lasers and smoke and lights and I mean, you got dancers. I mean, they got crazy stuff going on in churches right now. And to that, I don't care, whatever. As long as there's the ingredients of Acts in the church today, I believe you have a church. But whenever you just start substituting smoke and lights and lasers and techno music and whatever without these key ingredients from the book of Acts, it's really not a church. It may be a disco or a nightclub or it may be a match.com or whatever it is, you know. And you may call it a church and put a steeple on top of it, but there's things in the match that need to be on the blank. How many of y'all remember uh, having a dual set recorder? Oh, yeah. don't, even, don't, even, don't even look at me. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Y'all have no idea, Cheering. Y'all do, don't have a clue. But the rest of us, a lot of us know what a dual set recorder was. And probably you make mixed tapes. And if you got a girl... You make your girl a mixtape, and in between songs, you shout out your love and affection to her. In between Millie Vanilli and Brian Adams, you put a little, like a little, a little clip in there that talks about how much you love her and how awesome she is. I remember whenever I was 15, I had a girlfriend that was 18, and she was pretty, and she was she was older. This is not in my notes, but I just want to brag a little bit. Uh, just. just not even close. I mean, she's like an old hound compared to you. Uh, but I came back from a church camp, and uh, I'd met this girl, and uh, we started dating, and I got an 8 by 10 of her. <laughs> oh, my God, I got this. I'll never forget. I've got it in my brain what this picture frame looked like. It was like pink flowers and then some, some green, green leaves, pink flowers, green leaves, pink glass, and it was like almost like a glamour shot. How many of you remember a glamour shot? Oh, God. It's embarrassing just to talk about it. I know I'm turning red. Uh, but I had it by my, by my bedpost, and I remember uh, making mixtapes for her, and she lived in Texas. Uh, so I had to send my tapes over there, and then she broke up with me because I'm... <laughs> It's horrible. I'm still not over it. <laughs> but, but for those few months, I felt like the man. Like I, I didn't have a small picture, so I'd have all my friends over and just show them the 8 by 10. <laughs> 
this is my girl right here. It's like a big glamour shot of it. It's like, oh, God. But mixed mix tapes, you had, you had a boom box. Some of y'all don't, y'all don't have a clue what a boom box is. Uh, I remember always having a boom box, but I remember whenever I got my first CD, and I don't know what's more embarrassing, my 8x10 girlfriend, or my first CD, because the first CD I ever bought was Cher. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> Isn't that the worst thing ever you ever heard in your life? That, that will be edited out of the tape. You won't find that online. Uh, but my, my first CD I ever bought was Cher, and I remember looking at the back of it. How many of y'all remember the first time you ever saw a CD? Y'all kids, y'all don't even know. Yours like the first iPod, probably. We didn't have iPods, but you look at the back of a CD, and it was like all different colors, and it was just like, oh, a CD. Oh, man. It was a, but before that, you had a dual-set recorder, yeah, that's a cassette. I actually brought a, a cassette because this is the first time that I ever preached. The first sermon that I ever uh, preached was uh, in 2009, 20, 2000. I didn't know that we owned this, but my wife keeps it in her jewelry box. I've never listened to it since I preached it because I was so terrified the day that I preached it. I had like diarrhea and throw up. I mean, it was just like horrible because the first time I ever preached, the, the youth pastor, he was going out of town or something. He says, I need you to preach on Wednesday night. And I was like, oh, my God. And I got so nervous and just sick in my stomach and stuff. And uh, the title, oh, I can't tell you. I won't even go there. Uh, it's, it's that bad. Uh, it's, praise God. But, but I meant... <laughs> The, the dual set recorder, you put the master on one side of the boom box and you put the blank tape on the other side of the boom box and you hit record on the master. And, and I'm sorry, you hit play on the master and you hit record on the blank and whatever's on the master gets transferred to the blank. Whatever it is, uh, whatever's on the master gets made onto the blank. And I believe the book of Acts is the master. And there's the master church there because that's what Jesus, this is, this, we're going to see here whenever we start reading, this is his design for a church is, I believe, in the book of Acts. And again, you, you may have a, a lot of different things on the outside of that tape. Whenever you used to buy tapes, they used to have a fold out. I mean, I remember that fold out, man. It showed like the artist sitting by the band and it had the words. And I like to give special thanks to Choo Choo and, you know, whoever their people were, Boo Boo or whatever their, their shout out thanks were and stuff. Then it would fold out. So as a church is concerned, there can be a lot of things on the outside of the appearance of that tape. You know, there can be lots of pictures and photos, and you can do a tie or no tie. You can wear a three-piece suit or a nine-piece suit or no suit, just please close. You know, what? There, there's lots of different things that can dress a church up. But I believe there's things in the book of Acts that are on the master that absolutely need to be on the blank. And we're talking about in 2013, the Lord building this church. So I want to show you some characteristics just in Acts chapter 1 that, that we need these characteristics on our blank. The rest of it, the cubes or trees or whatever we do and all that kind of stuff, that's all good decoration. But I think there's some characteristics that absolutely need to be on our blank as a church. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to go through some of this this morning. What's awesome about Luke is Luke, he goes through the whole life of Jesus and then he just picks up with Acts. Again, it's almost like Luke, Luke part two. And, he, and Jesus comes back, he hangs out with them for 40 days and then he just goes right into in the book of Acts what Jesus is still doing. 
and I think sometimes we leave Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see, okay, he raised from the dead, and he went back to heaven. But Acts shows us he's not really back in heaven. His body may be back in heaven, but he's still working. Jesus is still changing lives. People are still being saved. People that are addicted to whatever, they're still being delivered. Jesus' work is still going on. And the Bible says that if all of Jesus' miracles were, were captured, all the books in the world couldn't contain them. And you say, well, he only did stuff for three years. How could, how could all the books in the world not contain somebody's life in three years? The obvious answer is, is he's still working. He never stopped. He may have been risen and gone back to heaven, but he's still every day. He's doing the miraculous. People that were going to hell ain't going to hell anymore. People that were bound by pornography or whatever, he's still answering prayers and those books are still being written. The acts are still being written. Some of you, the, the, the things that you're doing in your life, they're being recorded and those things that Jesus is doing through you, they're still being written. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus is still working. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. Jesus was taken up. After through the Holy Spirit, he gave commandments to his apostles whom he had chosen. To him, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them 40 days. And he's speaking of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. There you go, right there. He, by infallible proofs, after his suffering, he comes back and he hangs out for 40 days and he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. What does he tell them? Well, in verse 4, he says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, Do not depart Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized or immersed with water, but you shall be immersed or baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but... Everybody say, but... In other words, they're kind of getting distracted here. They're wanting to know about the end times and when's Jesus coming back. And they're wanting to know about all these kind of mystical type things. And Jesus has to re-divert their attention. Uh, their attention. And a lot of times people are still like that. They're wanting to know when's the end and how's it going to happen and all that. And Jesus says, listen, forget about certain things. There's certain things that it's not permitted for us to know. He says, the task for you at hand is as I've commanded you, don't leave this city until uh, God sends something to you. And he says it's not going to be very many days from now. Uh, and he's wanting them to wait for this promise. So we're going to see what the promise is. Verse 8 says, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes up on you. Upon just means up on. Get up on this. How many of y'all remember that song? Up on. There you go, Troy. <laughs> You're still rocking it. Uh, get up on this. Alright, I'll quit. He says the Holy Spirit is going to actually come up on you. In other words, he's not just going to be in you, but now there's going to be a clothing. 
The Holy Spirit will be inside of you, but once there's a baptism there, there's an immersion or everything's covered, everything's changed. So Jesus says, listen, the Holy Spirit, he's with people, but there's going to be something else. He's actually going to clothe you or come upon you. I have guts, innards right inside here, but I wear clothes. Totally different, right? But they, they come upon. He says, listen, he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And he says, it's not going to take many days. He said, I'm not asking you to stay for a week or stay for months or stay for years. I'm asking you just to hang around for what God has for you. And I, I, sometimes uh, God has things for us, but we just quit just a little too soon. He says, listen, I need you to just hang in there for a few days and we get distracted and, and we totally miss what God has for us. But here he says, he says that, that, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon or clothes you and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, which would be locally, Judea, which was their nation, which would be nationally. And he says, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which would be internationally. He says the Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to do something in you and he's going to cause you to be a witness locally, nationally, internationally to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit wants to use you. Verse 9 says, and when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. How many of you wish y'all were there for that? I like to see that. Don't you like to see that? He's back after 40 days. He's been hanging out. And now I wonder what his face looked like. I wonder if he's like, or what, I wonder if he was serious. I wonder what Jesus looked like after his last descent. But he's standing there and all of a sudden a cloud receives him as he starts going up. I wonder if he's like a rocket. <laughs> if he grew wings out of his feet. The Bible says that there's angels with wings in their feet. Well, I don't know. But it says a cloud receives Jesus up. And as he's standing there, all you can imagine, all of the disciples are watching him, just like he's a space shuttle. And they're just like watching him and watching him and watching him. And then he goes out of sight. I wish I was there. But then all of a sudden they look down and what, see, see what happens next. And it says, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven and he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So now they go from looking up and they look down. And, ah, there's two giant angels standing there. What an awesome day. What a great day to wake up and be alive on planet Earth that day right there. You hang out with Jesus. He levitates and flies away in a cloud. And now these two angels are standing here. But what do the angels say? The angels say, why, uh, uh, they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken away from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In like manner. You could say your question that you had this morning, Allie, inside, not joke, but you know what I'm talking about. He says, Jesus, well, that was taken up from you in like manner, he's going to come back. Verse 12, it says, And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. St. Peter, St. James, St. John, if you're Catholic, St. Andrew, St. Philip, St. Thomas, St. Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zelot, and Judas, the son of James. Verse 14 says, And they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, so Mary was there, Jesus' mother was there with his brothers. Now I want to stop right there. I'm not going to read any more, but I want to, on your piece of paper there, there's some characteristics I want to point out about this passage of Scripture concerning the Holy Spirit and concerning the church. Because if there's things that are on the master that we want on us the blank. 
We're a young church, a baby church, and I believe this is why the Lord is having me teach the book of Acts right now is because we're, we're endeavoring to build in 2013, not build a building, but build a church and build upon the foundation. Last year, I believe we laid a foundation. Now some walls and stuff are going up. And the Lord's saying, listen, I want some things that are in Acts from the master. I want it to be in uh, in this thing that we're building here and you can wrap it with squares and lights and all that kind of jazz but there's some things that by the Holy Spirit and by design that are in the early church the first church that need to be in this church in your church so as far as characteristics of the church is concerned the first one there that we see is that they were assembled together before that, they were kind of in houses to houses and they were, doing, they were doing different things. But now we actually, Jesus introduces the assembly. In other words, now it's not just a bunch of tents and a bunch of scattered, but actually there's some assembly required. How I many of you have ever had something that has some assembly? My son for Christmas, he got some Legos. But not just like the big, easy building blocks, you know, they're like the size of this. No, he's got the ones that's got like 8 million pieces. How many ever put those Legos together? As a kid, I remember dumping those things out, and I loved them. You make like a helicopter, and it would spin. It had landing gear. Great set of Legos. But I'm having to explain to Noble that there's assembly required. Whenever you open this box, it, you're not going to get the helicopter. you got to build this thing, baby. you got to put it together. you got to put all the pieces in it. And whenever you open it, be careful. Don't just dump it everywhere. Because I remember as a kid, how many of y'all know if you lose one piece? Isn't that the worst ever? You put the whole thing together, and if you lose one piece, it's going to matter. And if you don't have the instructions, it's going to matter. Without the instructions of Legos, you're sunk. I mean, you basically got firewood. Uh, you know, that's all you have. But with the instructions and with all of the pieces, you can actually do something. But there has to be an assembly. Here it says that when they assembled together, Jesus was with them. In other words, once they got together, Jesus came amongst the assembly. So the first characteristic of the early church is there's some assembly required. So that's your first little blank there. The second characteristic of the church that we see is that the church is supposed to be active or the church is supposed to be busy. Once they got their assignment from Jesus, they just started looking up and they're, they're, they're looking up to him, you know, and they've all, they're just facing this way. But there came a point whenever these angels said, listen, you need to start looking vertically and not just be looking up. You can worship the Lord up there, but there's things for you to do. And they were getting distracted, asking about the end times and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus basically shuts them down and says, you don't, don't worry about all of that stuff. The, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to reach locally, nationally, and internationally. That There's things that need to be done. Number two, the church needs to be active. Number three, it says that they were in all uh, one accord. What does that mean? They were in a Honda. Just kidding. They're not in a Honda. Uh, it says that they were all in one accord. And accord just means unity. So a characteristic of any church in our church is you can get a lot of people together, red, yellow, black, and white. You can get a lot of people together. But to get a lot of people in unity, that's different. You can get a lot of people together. At Super Bowl tonight, man, there's going to be a whole bunch of people together. But they're going to have half of people that hate the other half. I mean, I know churches can be the same way. It's like, we don't like you. Sulfuridians. We're Lake Charlesians. 
and, and but, but but the characteristic of the church here is not only is there assembly, but he says there needs to be some unity. Everybody needs to be in agreement. I hurt when you hurt. I rejoice when you rejoice. Your prayers are my prayers and my prayers are your prayers. That There is unity there. The last characteristic I want to give you is he says that not only did they, did they, were they together in unity, but it was prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He says whenever they all got together in unity, that there was prayer and supplication. What's that mean? There was times whenever they worshiped the Lord, they honored the Lord, but also that, that there was prayer, real prayer there, that, that things were happening. So those four. Now, characteristics of the Holy Spirit. I know I have to go. I have to hurry. Five characteristics of the Holy Spirit just out of this first book right here. Because how many of y'all know sometimes the Holy Spirit, whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, people can see the Holy Spirit as being weird. Talk about the Holy Spirit, man. That Holy Ghost. Talk about that Holy Ghost, man. No, no, they don't want to talk about that Holy Ghost, right? Because he's, he's seen as being sometimes as being, you know, it can be strange. But I heard this pastor say this this week, and I loved it. I thought it was great. He said, the Holy Spirit is not weird, but some people that represent him are weird. I mean, I know those people. Amen. There are people that represent him and do things in the name of the Holy Spirit that are bizarre, just, just flat out strange. He says, the Holy Spirit is not weird. Some people that represent him are weird, but they would be weird anyway. They just have the Holy Spirit, and they, they make him weird, but they're just weird. So you can't be weirded out by people who do things in the name of the Holy Spirit because Jesus right here said, so uh, uh, the, the first characteristic of the Holy Spirit I want to give you is that Jesus valued him. How many of y'all know the last things you say before you die are pretty important? I've been around people whenever they're about to die. I enjoyed watching my dad. My dad had kind of a slow death doing chemo and all that stuff. And the last month was incredibly slow and painful and stuff. And whenever he would meet with people, people would come by and they wanted to meet with my dad and hang out with my dad. And my dad knew this is the last time I'm ever going to see this person on the planet. And the conversations he had with them, the last time he's ever going to talk to them, he said what he really meant. I mean, I know that's right. He didn't beat around the bush. And we're like, what's the weather like? My dad didn't care about the weather. He's dying. This is the last time I'm going to see you. And I worked with you on the railroad. Or I, I brought my stuff to you at, at, the, at the break specialties. You know, that was his mechanic friend. And all these people would come by and visit with my dad. And his conversation was very, uh, he was saying what he meant and what he wanted said. This is the last conversation that Jesus has on the planet Earth. And it's very interesting that the last thing that Jesus says to me is, you need the Holy Spirit. This is what you need. I'm leaving. And it's actually, you don't understand this, but he said it's, it's to your benefit that I leave because the Holy Spirit's going to come. But the last words that Jesus say before he goes up in a cloud is the Holy Spirit is coming and don't you leave that city without him. Because if you leave the city without him, you won't be able to locally, nationally, and internationally affect and effectively reach people without him. You have to have him. You don't leave without him. So the first characteristic of the Holy Spirit is Jesus valued him. The second thing about the Holy Spirit is that he is a person. He's not a ghost. He's not a ghost. Some translate him as the Holy Ghost, and that messes people up. But he is a person. He's the person of the Holy Spirit. You have God the Father, person. God the Son, person. 
God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. How many of y'all know before Jesus took on the body of a baby, you couldn't see him, but he was still Jesus? You just couldn't see him. He wrapped himself in humanity so that we could relate to him. And now we can all relate with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we all relate with Jesus. We see him on the cross and we see him in these plays and passion of the Christ. We see Jesus. Hey, bud. How you doing? How's your mom and him? Uh, so because we can see Jesus, we can all relate to Jesus. But because we can't see the Holy Spirit, lots of times we have a hard time grasping or getting Him. But He's just as much a person as Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is just as tangible and just as real as Jesus is. If Jesus walked through that door, you would know it. If the Holy Spirit walks through that door, you know it. Why? He's a person. The second characteristic is the Holy Spirit is a person. The third characteristic, uh, not only that, I, I want to say this, he's a gentleman. He's not just any person, this is number two, but he's a gentleman. He's a perfect gentleman. Some of you ladies like a gentleman. I don't even want to know. Some of y'all like the bad boy. You'll grow out of that. Maybe. <laughs> Hannah, that's what you like, Hannah? Everybody's looking at Hannah. John, you do? That's all right. <laughs> ah, that's so funny. Oh, I love y'all. Uh, so not only is the, is the Holy Spirit a person, but he's a perfect gentleman. What's that mean? He's not going to make you do things. He's not going to make you do things you don't want to do. He's not going to control you. That's not that. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said he's a comforter. The other night, the temperature dropped, got down to about 40, and we had, we had our air condition on, and it got cold. It's like the middle of the night. It's cold, man. It's cold. But I had my comforter at the end of the bed. Grabbed that comforter. I pulled that sucker up over me. And that's how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He says, whenever I go, I, the, the Father is going to send the comforter. And that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's not a bully. He's not going to make you flip and flop and flounder. He's not going to make you do these sensational weird things that maybe you see people do on TV or you've heard about or whatever. He is the comforter. He's a perfect gentleman. Now, he'll come on you. He'll talk to you, speak to you, lead you, and guide you. And if you need him, there's power available. The next characteristic was not the next, but it'll be number four. So we'll skip that one. But it's, it's power. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to bring some power. Okay. He's going to bring power. He's a comforter. He's a gentleman. But when need be, if the devil needs casting out, that's who you want on your team. Yeah. Come on, Holy Spirit. If you do it without him, then you're going to have, find what happened to the seven sons of Sceva. That man, they tried to cast the devil out of that man. And that man, the power of the demons in him, uh, stripped them down naked and beat them up. That's the truth. You have to read that. It's a great story. Uh, so without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do things, but he gives you power. Another characteristic I want to give you is he's from the Father. He actually comes. God sent him to us. Papa, Daddy Spirit, Father Spirit. He sent us the Holy Spirit. He sent us a person, a, a gentleman, a comforter. The last one I want to give you is the Bible says that, that he's going to give you power to be a witness. And all a witness means is, is the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reach people. That's what he's for. He's not to make you flop and flounder and do whatever, although you can do whatever, you can do those things. But, but the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the reason the Holy Spirit is on our planet right now is to reach people. He'll lead you to people that are hurting, people that are bound, people that are addicted, people that need help. The Holy Spirit is sent from the Father 
down as a gentleman, a comforter to work in our lives to reach people. That's his ministry. That's it. Period. Bottom line, that's what he's for is he's in the business of reaching people. But we need to recognize him. He's not a ghost. He's not gold dust. He's not weird. these weird things. He is a person. That's why whenever I get ready to preach or teach in here, the Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Come right through that door. Come in here. I've preached with the Holy Spirit, and I've preached without, and I can tell you there's a difference. There's a big difference. And I have to start looking. Did I not, did I not pray right? Did I not study right? Is it because I wanted to run that man off the road? Uh, what is it? What is it, Holy Spirit? What is not clicking about me right now? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't have you today, and I have to have him to be effective. I have to have this person. Right. He wants to be with us. If, if he's not with you, it's not his fault. There's a adjustments that we have to make. I say, Holy Spirit, I recognize that I need you. Listen, in a church, you have to have the Holy Spirit or it's not a church. He wouldn't have said, you better wait for this. And once you get together, there's going to be assembly. There's going to be some unity. There's going to be some prayer and some supplication. But you have to have this entity or you just have a good a, a club without dues and donuts praise jesus for the donuts well i love donuts but we want we want we want god we want holy spirit and we want to reach people locally nationally internationally praise god how many of y'all received that this morning let's pray together and uh i'll dismiss you thank you father god thank you holy spirit that we welcome you that we want you we don't just want a civic organization or somebody to feed the poor or do nice things holy spirit we want to be with you one heart one accord used by you so that we can reach our city reach our families our schools reach this generation and reach around the world i thank you holy spirit you're welcome in this place in this uh place that we have here if you're here and you've never been saved, you know, I started today just kind of giving you the history of Jesus. And I wasn't really totally intending on going through his whole life and birth and all that kind of stuff. But, but I did. And if you're here and you've never uh, received him or, or recognized or made him the Lord of your life, he absolutely was born as a baby and a child. And he grew up and died on the cross and was risen from the dead. All of those are facts and realities and I want to make sure that if you're here and you've never made him the Lord of your life, I'm not asking you to join this church. You don't ever have to come back again. But I'm asking you just to make sure before you leave that he is the Lord of your life. Most important decision you'll ever make is this decision. So if you're here and you've never been saved, you've never been born again, even if you're a visitor, I don't care. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you down or try to do anything. I just want to pray with you and pray for you. So if, if you're here and you need to be saved, you need to be born again, uh, I ask you to raise your hand. Is there anybody like that? You say, I just need, I need, yes, ma'am, I see that hand. Anybody else? You say, I, I, need to, I need to be born again. Maybe you say, I used to walk with the Lord, or I used to go to Sunday school, or I used to, I used to, I used to, and, and, but, but you haven't been. And you say, I need, I need to reconnect or recommit myself to the lordship of jesus there's a difference between jesus being your savior and jesus being your lord you say i just need to come back under the lordship 
of Jesus. If that's you and you need prayer today, I ask you to raise your hand. Is there anybody like that? Anybody else? You say, man, I just need, I feel like the Lord. I love the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He'll deal with you. You really can't pay attention to what people around you are doing or saying. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, you say, this is you. This is your moment. And you say, uh, I need to recommit my life to Christ. Anybody else like that before we pray? Praise God. Uh, we're going to pray together and I ask you to pray with me and pray for, uh, uh, just repeat after me. But after this, if you would like additional prayer, whatever it's for, uh, my wife and I will be available down here to front to pray for any other things that you may need. But a, a, as assembly together and in unity together, I ask you just to repeat this prayer to me and uh, we're going to pray with these that raised their hand this morning. So everybody say, Father God, I believe, I confess that Jesus, He came he lived, he died for me, and he arose from the grave. He's not dead. His blood was shed for me. It was placed on the mercy seat. I thank you for your mercy that you wash me in the blood of Jesus. All my sins, all my past, all my failure, all my shame is washed by the blood of Jesus. I recommit my life, my all to you, my future, my destiny. You are my savior. You're also my Lord. I thank you for working in me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank God. Pray, uh, praise God. If there's others you need to pray about, whatever, uh, one of us, either my wife and I, or be down at the front, happy to pray with you, pray for you. And uh, if not, you are dismissed. We have a shindig at my house this week. You're all invited. It's going to be our small group Bible study that will be going on the next six weeks uh, in home. So I encourage you to come. You are dismissed. Amen. Amen. You want to go outside? Yep. Got to hurry. <laughs>